In this episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast, I'm joined by entertainment attorney Bob Celestin. Man, this is a great episode, man. I really, really have a lot of love and respect for Bob. I actually connected with Bob at the conference I work with. Uh, it's called New School Rules in Rotterdam. And I just knew I wanted to have Bob on the podcast, man. He's been a lawyer for many years and worked with some of the industry's biggest names like Diddy and Eddie F. And so many people across the space managing a group called Studio High who had a major hit called uh, What Would You Do like in the early late nineties. And he's been he's been he's been through so much and he's still very active today, representing some of the biggest acts in the hip hop and R and B space. Um, so this was a great episode to, to learn about his journey and why he even decided to come become a lawyer uh, in the first place. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast. And I'm with a good friend of mine, great industry veteran, entertainment attorney, Bob Celestin. What's going on, man? How you doing, man? Jerome, man, I'm, I'm blessed and highly favored, man. How are you, brother? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great, man. This is absolutely such a pleasure to have you here and somebody like- your, somebody your caliber, you know, on my podcast. <laughs> For sure. Invited me to your podcast. You know what I'm saying? Hey, man, it, you know, my podcast is called the Encouraging Inspire Podcast. And I usually talk about three topics, either disability awareness music business topics and or people's stories that encourage and inspire me. So I just try to um, have people on that I just really and generally enjoy having a conversation with and hopefully teach and learn and it be interesting, you know, the whole way through. What's it called? Encouraging? The, encur- the Encourage and Inspire podcast. So the name of my company is called Double N Management and Marketing Group. So the double N stands for encourage. So N apostrophe courage and apostrophe N apostrophe spire, kind of a play on words like that. I, I love it. So, so that's kind of, and that that word, that term really personifies who I am both personally and professionally. So, and it's a conversation starter. You know, a lot of people name their companies after themselves, which is no problem doing right. that. Um, but I wanted to have something that was kind of like a conversation starter to let people know like, oh, what are you all about? You know, and people who meet me, they they say, okay, yeah, that that makes sense of who right. you are. <laughs> so, right. no I, doubt. <laughs> cool, cool, man. So, uh, man, you and I got connected because obviously with new school rules and me getting a chance to see you in Rotterdam and and did that. And speaking at the time of this recording, it's been almost a month ago. Uh, a little right. while, yeah. <laughs> right. And it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. The ability to give back and to share knowledge. Shout out to Hank and Maduro and Greg, her partner for what they do in Rotterdam. I've been fortunate enough to uh, go to five editions and be able to be a partner and bring talent. And Hank and Greg give me a chance to talk on the panel and share knowledge. And there's not a lot of people like me in the business in terms of having a disability and have earned the respect that I've earned in order to be on a platform like that. So right. I take I take that very, very seriously. 100%. You're definitely inspiration, brother. I appreciate that, man. Appreciate that. So one of the questions I like to ask, you know, what's your earliest memories of music, man? How did you 
how'd you first get connected to music? I always like to ask that question. Man, listen, bro. I feel like I've been listening to music forever. I would probably say when I got into high school, you know what's so funny to say that? Because I watched the other night a on Donna Summers. Okay. And for those people uh, you know, in your audience who don't know, she was an amazing singer, black, black singer. And she popularized a music form called disco. Okay. And people forget that before hip hop, there was disco. This was another art form created by blacks, Latinos, and, and, and gay called disco. Uh, I had a particular way of dancing, all of that. And so I remember when I was in high school, like my junior year, and my mom and dad allowed me to go to start going to clubs and stuff, right? That's how that's how I met girls that dance at the clubs. Right. And disco was the music. So you had to I had to learn how to hustle. And I used to go to a lot of Latin clubs. Um and cause and salsa and and, and uh learn how to, how to dance salsa. So that was my way of being girls, but that was like my earliest like memory of music. And I remember when disco was at its height that I would go upstairs to the living room where we had a stereo system there and I would put on a record, let's say by this there was a, an artist named Cerrone, C-E-R-R-O-N-E, this Italian producer, songwriter. And back then disco records were like six, seven, eight minutes long. Right. right. They had big instrumental breaks. And by the way, the instrumental breaks was what let Cool Herc, you know, be able mm -hmm. to change, you know, and kind of create hip hop. And, right. and be, he kept on looping those instruments breaks on certain records anyway and i remember sitting there with my headphones and trying to pick out every instrument that was being used back then they used live instruments and it was just interesting to see how they arranged the instruments and you know it was amazing so that's my earliest you know memory of music you know i love that man i love that that's always an interesting an interesting um Interesting when people talk to me about that. Now, in terms of, of being a lawyer, you know, yes. so so did you know that's always kind of what you wanted to do? <laughs> nah, how, funny that, story. how did that work? I was going to be a doctor, man. I was very much My parents are Haitian immigrants. Yeah. So I'm first American. If you know anything about Haitian, you know, culture, yeah. at least of the new school. The old school was that every education is fun. Very important that you be educated. Uh, and the second thing is somebody in the family, somebody going to be a doctor. Yeah. Like, it, it was like, I was the golden child, and I was very much into science. And I remember my mother and father, they would get me a biology set, and they would get me a geo. Any, anytime I told them I was interested in something in science, you know, I, you know, they got me a telescope, so I was checking out the moon and different Mars and all that, and they got me, you know, chemistry set, all these different things. I was going to be the doctor. Mm -hmm. And I was first couple of years at Yale. So I went to Yale undergrad and, uh, you know, two things happened. One, my very first day on campus, these brothers, um, two brothers had a U-Haul truck. So I was, uh, I drove up to Yale my first day in like a station wagon. So, and back then we had vinyl. So I took out one carton of vinyl. And then these brothers behind me, they pulled up directly behind me and proceeded to take out about 10, 11 cartons, milk cartons of vinyl. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at my one little milk carton of vinyl and they got like 10. And I looked at them, I said, what do you guys do? I said, we're DJs. 
right? They were from Hartford, Connecticut. They just got accepted into Yale. And they were going to be DJs. Long story short, I became a member of of their DJ group, and ultimately, Yale had a radio station. I got I became an on air personality program music director of WYBCFM, which was the radio station. But what got to become a lawyer was was another thing. I took a course. This is why I always say for people, to people that education is important because I took a course on black culture that was ironically taught by a white professor. Mm. Right. So this is this white man talking about the drum and the importance of the drum and, and black culture and Africa and all these different things. And and I'm coming home and you know during the summer and hip hop is in its infancy. Right. I'm like, I'm putting two and two together. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This, this, this is why we create new new shit. This is who we are. Right, right. You know? right. Yeah, the premise of the course is that American culture is created by or very heavily influenced by Black people. Right. Right. <laughs> now, now I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I see something going on. Now, I could not have told you, you know, 40 some odd years later, right, or 50 years later. Let me see, 50 years, I'm 60. Uh, I don't know, it was about for me it was a little bit less, but whatever. I cannot believe that it would be what it is today. Right. Right. That, you know, global culture, multi billions of dollars worth of, you know, uh, of of money being generated, turned around. I could never have told you this. But I knew then that that it wasn't a fad. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's definitely not. You know, I tell people all the time, we're trendsetters, black people. Every major art form that's in music, we've created. And I mean, I mean, nobody can deny that. You know what I mean? So, you know, even in country music, you know, that's really us too. You know, I know Kim Michelle. I music is black music. Exactly. And I know Kim Michelle has always been trying to make her way into and get respect in, in country music because country music is always, they're protective of who they yep. let, let into their into the culture and understanding like as black people we created that in terms of well, rock rock and roll with Chuck Berry so I mean we so people gotta we understand did. yeah correct exactly exactly so yeah man so that's cool so now so you you start your legal career and you actually was in corporate law for a, a little while first before well, before moving to, to entertainment. <laughs> Yeah, Darrell, you 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 definitely got my history down. Yeah, I graduated from Columbia. So, so let me one, let me step back one, one step. So, I it's my like junior year at Yale. Mm-hmm. I told my mom's and my dad, I'm not going to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. So what mm-hmm. am I, my thought, my thinking at the time was I wanted to be a DJ, and I'm going to go to WBLS in New York, which was the hottest station at the time. And yeah. I'm going to be an honor to be, be a DJ. And it was like, no, 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 that ain't the way it works. You want to be a DJ in these smaller markets around the country. Yeah. Make your way up to L.A. or New York. Right. Especially at that time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Iowa. You got to go to all these little, you know, Nebraska, do radio, get on one of them radio stations. And I was like, it's not going to work because, number one, New York was was just thriving, right? Right. So what happened was when... The, the good thing about the radio station that I was the program music director for, we I would get visited by major radio promotion people from the various labels. Okay. On the urban side. Okay. One of them, Sylvia Rohn, who's now president of 
she uh, was Sylvia Rowe. <laughs> yeah, she was for a company called Buddha Records, and she would come and pitch her records to me. And she and Sharon Hayward and a bunch of other folks say, hey, what do you want to do? I said, well, you know, I don't know what I want to be a DJ. I said, no, you should think about becoming a lawyer. They put the bug in my ear about becoming a lawyer. Right. And said, Why? They said, listen, lawyers run the music business. I'm like, word? I said, look, they said, Bob <laughs> Davis, Arista Records. Right. So then, you know, I, I, I took their advice. I took the, the LSATs and I ended up going to Columbia Law School because of them. Right. Then when I graduated from Columbia Law School, which was 116th Street in New York, so you know Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, I'm out, even though right. I'm supposed to be <laughs> right. And 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 so, uh, and so, I graduated and I tried to get a job in the music industry, but that's not the way it works. They they usually want you. It's changed a little bit, but generally speaking like whether it's record labels or entertainment law firm, they want you to have some experience as being an attorney. Right. And so um, I was fortunate enough to get a, a, a job at a corporate law firm on Park Avenue. Wore, I wore a suit every day. Um, I was doing a- asset-based financing, long hours. The money was great, long hours though. Um, and I did that for two years before I got my first job at Arista Records in their legal department. Right. That for about a year, and then from there I met Andre Harrell, may he rest in peace. And he made he was said, yo, you should come work with me at this company I'm creating called Uptown Records. And the rest of they say is history. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I mean, to to get a chance to work for the legendary Clive Davis and then to uh, next go to Andre Harrell, you're talking about two iconic people uh yep. in the culture. You know, um, so that that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, so there you were, you know, a VP and a GM. So on the executive side, working with people like Mary J. Blige, Heavy D, and the boys, and obviously Sean Diddy Combs, man. I mean, what was yeah. it like to work with those at those times where, I mean, they're not household names at that time yet. You know, kind of that's building right. building right. up to that and to see what all of them has become, to see even Mary J. Blige, how she's been able to, be impactful in all the eras and not what she's doing in power or the ghost series and what she's doing there because there's going to be a version of kids that don't really know her as Correct. a singer. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's it's, it's, it's interesting, right? And obviously, you know, with, with, with Diddy, you know, and and we obviously his history is, is, is out there as well too. So I mean, that's powerful. You know, and I was watching a recent interview you did and you said that he was probably the best intern that you ever had a chance to work with and obviously uh what he's become and it's legendary yep yep 100 percent. you you got you hit the nail around the head man the thing about Dick was you know he was probably the, the the best intern i ever met um, um his work ethic was crazy and he's like the template for any anybody who tells me they want an intern for me you know usually on the legal side you know they better have you know some diddy in them because again you know, he wasn't getting paid and anything you ask him to do, he went, he would not only do it, but do it to the next level. And, uh, and I appreciated that about him. And, you know, it was a great experience. And all these other artists, you know, we were all trying to come up and learn. I was, I was the vice president, general manager of the company. So I was working with the, with the lawyers, right. also signing, you know, negotiating contracts between, you know, Uptown and these various artists we were trying to sign. Right. Uh, 
you know, handling, working with the, 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 the business manager we had, hiring, firing folks, trying to build structure, add structure to the company. And Absolutely. it was, I got a chance to be in studios with Joe to see with, you know, I remember being in the studio with, with, um, you know, Mark Rooney, uh, Corey Rooney and, and, and Mark, um, Morales, um, when they were recording um, Real Love, Mary J. Mm. Blige. Mm. So all of that stuff, the stuff that, you know, stuck in my head to this day. It was, it was just an amazing experience. You know? Powerful. You, were you around when, 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 when Puff found Big? Were you around at that time? I had left the company, but Big, Big Biggie, I remember the Uptown office and Biggie there, you know, in the corner with smoking with some weed and, and doing shooting some stilo. <laughs> Right, you know, oh, this is different. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, and, and I met Biggie a couple of times too. Very nice guy, man. I ain't got nothing. Always treated me nice, you know. For sure, for sure, for sure, man. Like I said, I mean, it, it's just interesting, you know, the impact that both him and Pac made. I and mean, people forget, like these guys died at twenty four and twenty five years old. So sad. I, I mean, when you think about the impact at twenty four and twenty five years old and impact the culture the way they did is still to this day. I mean, you know, obviously with XXX Tentacion, obviously, you know, him dying so young and things like that. I know you represented him, you know, and still mm -hmm. do, and still do is a state, but yeah, yeah. you know, to, 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 to have an impact of that way off, you know, essentially big off two albums, you know, I had a chance to interview my man, Tracy Lee, you know, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 so I, yeah, 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 he's one of the, yeah. his, his kind of trademark, he's the only active entertainment lawyer and active independent artist still really still doing, I had a chance to, I actually met him through the New School Rules platform um, a couple of years back, and then his mom lives out here in the Central Florida area, so I, so he was out here for the holidays last year, and I actually brought him on this platform called Afro TV. I don't know if you may have you may have heard of that Afrotainment TV. Nah, but I want yeah, to turn so, me on. So Afrotainment TV is a platform that I think they started in New York City, but there's black owned by husband and wife, and they they have a series of television network a television network where they have four or five different shows on their platform, as well as they everything African, Canadian, Afro, black, everything around that culture. So they have a deal with Xfinity TV and Comcast and they stream back to the Roku as well. So they're so they have an off they have a TV studio here in Orlando. So one of the uh platforms I work with is called The Lowdown with James Young. So think of it like a a late night comedy style show where they interview artists, actors, people who are doing great things in the entertainment business and they get a chance to go on their platform, his platform and and, and share what share their gifts. So Tracy was in town. I said, look, man, I mean, I know it's last minute, but let me see what I can do. And I was able to get him on that platform. And what's so interesting about it was when I, when I talked to James about it, James, I'm the host, he was just watching an interview with Guru. And Guru had talked about, man, Tracy Lee. And like, when I called him, I literally called him. I said, man, you know, you know, I know Tracy, right? Like, you know, Tracy, can you get him on? I could get him on the show. So like, it was that cool, like, to be able to, 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 to do stuff like that. And you guys have become my colleagues and friends. And I, right. Bob, I take that so seriously, man, the, in this business, somebody like me. And again, this podcast is about talk, you know, bringing disability awareness, me having a super palsy, 
Bob, there's no, there's no, there's not really any opportunities for people like me in this business. I'm just, it just isn't. You know what I mean? Like if I don't create it where I had to from Orlando, basically doing what I'm doing, right. the opportunities wouldn't be there. So, so I, you know, I, I wrote a book recently about my journey in, in the music industry mm -hmm. and hopefully and, and really just as an inspiration to provide light for people to let me know if you're like me and want to be in the business, it, it might be unconventional, but there's an opportunity, you know, and I've been fortunate enough to be featured in 13 magazines, you know, in, in various different ways and obviously be in the seven different countries, but had to earn my respect and, and I do everything freelance, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a coach, I'm a consultant, artist manager, but really I love people. And, and, and that's what it's really all about for me. Yeah, you have to go that new school for real. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, then you go to Untouchables Entertainment with, with Eddie F and, and, and you know, and um, Donnell Jones and C.L. Smith and Pete Rock. So you go to that yeah. company. So how, how yeah. was that? How was that? Great experience. At the time, Eddie F, um, who was a DJ with Heavy D and the boys, Yeah, he entered venture agreement with LaFace Records uh, being distributed by Arista mm -hmm. and from from that company Donnell Jones who by the way just turned 50 last week unbelievable wow. um, intro um, you know Kenny um, I forget Kenny's last name but the lead singer unfortunately passed but but intro and then we the, the company that managed Pete Rock and Sales Smooth well as a number of major producers at the time that made great records for a lot of artists so it was a great experience for sure because not only just what you know it was the company just dealing with putting records out again it was a company that was also involved with managing artists and managing producers so that was a bit of a different experience because we didn't really manage producers when we were at uptown you know yeah awesome. so that that, that's what's up. Then you had a chance to, through your through your mentor Louise West, you had a chance to work with Missy and Timberland and and Genuine, and ultimately um, also work with City High. You know, uh, before kind of jumping on your own. Yeah, you know, with what you're doing now. So I mean, again, iconic, iconic people. I mean, impactful people. I yeah. Mean, yeah. <laughs> Very fortunate. So, so you know, in 1999, 2000, um, met a young, uh, uh, a young manager who was managing one singer, a guy named Robbie. Robbie had been signed to Booga Bay, which was Wyclef's cousin uh, imprint. Mm -hmm. uh, he was at the ASCAP Music Showcase. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, this done back in the day, right? Anyway, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. his name is Robbie Pardlow. He's going to be a solo artist. But he lived literally within a couple blocks in Willingboro, New Jersey. He lived close to Ryan, Ryan Toby, and also Claudette Ortiz. And they were all artists. And that's what you're about. For those who don't know, Ryan Toby's obviously was famously in the movie Sister Act. You know, you know, uh, play, you know, so for those, you got some people that may, they may know him as that if they saw him. But, you know, we got, you know some people may not know him. Uh, as um as an artist but go ahead yeah so so anyway long story short they did a record which subsequently that biggest hit record so they you know they record he was robbie recorded a song with both of them on it 
Okay. And why Jerry heard the record and they had sort of like a Fuji's, you know, flash like, oh shit, two guys and a girl. Right. Like the Fuji's right. part of the Fuji get broken up at the time. And he said, Well, why don't you guys be a group? Come out with, you know, be a group initially, which they did. It formed City High. At least that record, what would you do? Big hit record. I remember and, it. I'm old yeah. enough to I'm old enough to remember it. I was that was nine nine two. I was kind of just entering high school that time. Nine nine two thousand was my freshman year of high school. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, yeah, rest of, uh, you know they, they had a big record, got Grammy nominated. It was a great time, you know what I mean? Just a great, great time. So it was blessed with that, and that, and what that. Also, something that you you know your listeners should know is that during that time period, nineteen ninety nine two thousand, this 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 young man who had obviously had too much time on his hand created a software called Napster. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Basically fucked up the music business. Yeah. Because now yeah. kids to share music on their computers. So they didn't buy CDs. Prior to 2000, 2001, CDs were the primary ways in which music was distributed. Absolutely. Napster comes along, and not long after that, CD sales start going down because kids are like, somebody will buy a CD, download it on the computer, on their computer, and email to their friends the music. Hey, I'm I'm guilty of it, Bob. I'm guilty See? of it back then. <laughs> yeah. Me a lot of headaches, man. Yeah, I, I, I bet. <laughs> but that was before. But that was before I was in the music industry. So, uh, so I, I was a music fan at that time. But I did, and it's funny because these kids will never know about that because they're in the streaming world, so they don't know about that time about what people would actually do file share. What we will be legal on file share. And you know, and and piracy and things of that nature. Yeah, and then Steve Jobs came. And, and credit to Steve Jobs, he told, "Hey, look, man, this this internet thing is going to change the industry." And I don't think, and I've been saying the music you wasn't ready for it, Bob, because at that time they're still op- and to this day, it's still operating under old antiquated business model. Dave, because they didn't, nobody anticipated the internet and how right. the internet would change. Would change the, the the music industry, and thankfully, you know, Bob, thankfully, uh, Steve Jobs created iTunes, and that that was a, that created a different platform, a different vehicle for music to be distributed, you know, before the streaming world. Right, and so you know, um, ironically, what was interesting was when Sean Fanning created Napster, he actually went to the record labels. Mm, okay. Oh, he wanted to wanted to work with them and say, hey, this is. Some this might be a new way for you to distribute the music, and they're like, "Nah, we're good with our, you know, to to twelve ninety nine to fifteen ninety nine CD mm-hmm. that may only have one good record." Right, right, <laughs> right. Kids were like, "You making me buy a whole bunch of uh, you the fifteen ninety nine, and 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 then it's one record. The rest right. of it is right, and that was usually what usually that was the single, or did you heard on the radio? Usually, the, you know, I tell people right. again. People don't understand, like, that was how, that's what you did. The single was used to promote the album, and then you have maybe, out of a 12-track album, you may have four good songs on it. The rest are filler, the rest are filler tracks. You know, we just got to fill the album out. But, you know, again, that model, you know, they were making so much money, and, and where people were spending a shitload of money to get one or two songs that they liked. The only one they really didn't give two shits about, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> so 
Yeah. So obviously then the streaming world comes in and, and now we have Spotify. And I again heard you talk about how you felt like that saved the music industry in terms of access, right? Uh right. to music. Correct. Yeah, Correct. You know, you know so, so so you're right, Steve Jobs came along, you know, it brilliant brilliant move on his part because you had to get an iPhone. It, you mm-hmm. know, it cost an iPod, you mm-hmm. know. So and you could download the songs, you know, for you know ninety nine cents. Still didn't make the labels happy, but still better than nothing. And then it that worked and, and helped stem the tide of till uh, uh um what's the guy's name from uh Spotify uh, Daniel X. Yeah. By yeah. that has been a sea change. That has been an incredible uh boon to the music industry. So yeah. But the streaming, the music industry profitable again, and yeah. they don't have spending money if the artist is right. Right. And, and me and me, because I deal primarily with independent new artists, what I tell them is the music industry, the product in terms of what we're selling is free. Right? So right. so the only way you really can make money as independent artists is people invest in a relationship. Right, so right. they invest into the relationship. So then you sell them the VIP experience. The music, the music, it becomes a loss leader. So you lose money on the music, but you Correct. gain, but you gain all the other stuff. And I think that's most that's that's where it's kind of shifted. Um, you know, for for respect to your time, I'm gonna move quick forward here. So obviously, you know, you have you're on your own now. You have your law firm, and and you provide counsel a lot of independent creatives and DJs and label owners and startups and things like that. My thing, Bob, is I'm big on education. You know, like you said before, I think education is the number one missing link to majority of independent creators in the marketplace because our industry is not regulated. Obviously, you're a lawyer, so you have to have proper licenses to practice law. But for the most part, to be an artist, to be a creative, you don't need any kind of, you know, legal uh, certification to be in the game. So no. So nobody wants to do the work it takes to get educated and get the knowledge and do what's required to to be successful. You know what right. I'm saying? So I right. think I think education. So I want to get your thoughts on that, like how you feel about education in the space from an attorney's perspective, and and where you think that that plays a role in success today. I mean, listen, I'm a big fan of education. Period. Right? Question of whether you should go to not. You know, I guess it's individual. I, I, the ability to think, to critically analyze things, you know, I think it's something that if you go to the right school and you're, you know, you get a chance to be around intelligent folks and you have good teaching, which I've always had, the, you know, challenging teachers. I think education is very, very key. You know, you may not want to go all the way to college. You may not want to go to be a lawyer or a doctor, whatever, but it cannot hurt you to get educated, period, right? right? Because, you know, time when they didn't want us to even learn how to read. Absolutely. Right? So it's really it, it's really disappointing a lot of times when I meet and like, yo, I don't need to go to college. I don't need this. I don't need that. Yeah, you probably, you may not necessarily need to go to college, but if you don't have some sort of skill, whether it's a trade, something like that, okay, you know, I want to yeah, deal with, you know, with cars. So I want to be a mechanic. Okay, cool. You know, I want to be a nurse, something like that. All right, cool. I'm not mad at you. Find something where, and if you're going to do any of those things, you have to be educated in that that area, you know, 
to be good at it. Right. Right. Now, once you get into the habit of wanting to be educated, are open to learning new things, and you're an artist, that same sort of like intellectual curiosity should also make you say, okay, great. Yes, I'm not a lawyer, but let me, you know, when I talk to my lawyer or when I talk to, you know, let me have of what, you know, the business that, you know, that I have a basic understanding that this is a business. Right. Right. And it's really, it's amazing almost to when you meet people, whether they're artists or regular folks who don't have a clue about this, don't have a clue about that. And they'll tell me, oh, but my friend said this and I heard this. And I'm like, well, you, <laughs> I, that phone you're holding has the the accumulated knowledge of the planet is in that phone. Right. So it was like when I go to the doctor, right? When I tell people go to the doctor, they, they go to the doctor and yeah, my doctor gave me these pills to take. And I said, great. Did you check out the pills? Uh, what do you mean? He told me it was good to take. I'm like, well, did you not like Google the pill? Yeah. What? Yeah. How does it work? I'm thinking this is something that everybody does, and I'm realizing, Bob, you're sadly mistaken. Right. This is not, right. Right. My friend. Now, there's a lot of misinformation online too. Don't get me wrong, but that's why having an education of, of of understanding will help you say, wait a minute. This a lot of sense. Let me keep digging in this information research and see what other people are saying. It's the most amazing thing to me, Darrell. It, it, it's unbelievably crazy. To me. Yeah, you man. It, it's, it's powerful. And that's why I've kind of built my brand on education and knowledge of the music industry and primarily helping new independent artists. And that's where I feel like I can impact the most. And, and you know, it's worked out. It's never always easy because new, new indie artists are broke. They just are. So, you know, so you got, so finding a happy medium of knowing what my value is versus, you know, what I'm willing to do something for versus what I'm not willing to do something for is key. But I do this, Bob, is, I say this all the time, man. This is service work for me. This is passion work. That's why I continue to do it. And and, and I, I don't, the money's going to come if you do what you're supposed to do and you impact enough people. The right people who see you and see the value you, 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 you bring will pay that. Well, that's one reason why I love going to do school rules and I pay my way to go there because yeah. it brings value to what I do. It's not always about, did you pay me? You know, did I get paid to sit on the panel? That panel brings credibility to what I do. Right, exactly. And that's why I do it. Correct. And that's why but I do it. Also sharing information and knowledge, man. These young minds, man. Absolutely. I remember when I was... And I was in the audience, you know, sitting in, you know, just trying to learn. Yeah. Hope, hoping to talk to some of the panelists. You know right. what I mean? Right. And there's a just be able to maintain, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, yeah. It, it's so ironic to me. I'm like, wow, I'm on a panel. People really want to hear what I got to say. That's exactly. 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 You know? But well, like you said, it's an honor, though. You know what I'm saying? It's an absolute honor to do it. And I will always continue to do it because it just means so much to me, man. Bro, before we get out of here, Bob, yes, uh, we can go for so long, but out of respect for your time, we'll have to come back and do a part two. But before we get out of here, how can people get connected, stay connected with you, and find out more about the work that you're doing through your law firm and 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 how you how they can they can get with you? Darrell, they can reach out to me. For anything, they can go to my website, which is www.raclawfirm.com. Okay. And you're on the gram, on the grizzy. 
Okay. Bob, B-O-B, Celestin, E-L-E-S-T-I-N. <laughs> awesome, awesome, guys. Well, look, this has been a great episode. This is episode number 77 of the Encourage Inspire podcast. And as you know, I bring some of the heavyweights, some of the big people who are fortunate enough to believe in what I do to come on my platform. I never take this for granted. Shout out to my podcast, Home Got What You Need Podcast Network. They give me the opportunity to do this and, and, and talk to great guests like my colleague and friend Bob Celestin. So, till next time, guys, it's your host, Darrell Peart. I'm out of here. Peace. Darrell, peace. Thank you, man. Thanks, Darrell.